0: You know, there comes a time in all of our lives when we come to a fork in the road. Which way do we go? What are the consequences of each road? One road gives us life. The other gives us death. Well, today, my guest, Brian Kelly, shares how his choice gave him a life sentence and an eventual CEO position at an organization that is so life-changing that he was willing to stay in prison a whole extra year for it. Come on. Let's do a background check. Let's go. Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh- it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and and not be afraid to say, go go ahead. Check my background. My name is J. Dan Gumm, and this is is background check you already know let's go you can check my background i'm a forgiven felon so tell them that i won't back down now you can bet i won't live in regret it's time to earn some respect you are tuning in to background check hey everyone welcome to background check podcast brought to you by forgiven felons helping people with a past realize their future You know, at Forgiven Felons, we help men coming out of prison get back on their feet by providing the practical, physical, and spiritual tools they need to successfully reenter society and become a productive citizen. If you want more info, please visit us on the web at ForgivenFelons.org. There's also an application packet for uh, you to send to your loved one if they need a transitional house uh, at the time of parole. If you miss us on The Huckabee Show, you can catch us on the front page of the website. And finally if you've never seen the documentary please go to Roku TV and or Tubi TV it's free and you can watch all three episodes of our documentary. And if you want to be a sponsor for the show just let me know we'll insert your business, your program whatever in this spot. So what is background check podcast? You know, it's all about sharing motivation, inspiration and sometimes information with anyone whose life has been impacted by incarceration. Sometimes I'll do a solo episode and just talk about a specific topic, but most of the time I'll have guests on that have a great comeback story where they didn't let their background hold them back. They're making their background pay them back. And occasionally we'll have guests on that have information that is beneficial to individuals and families whose life has been impacted by incarceration, such as parole lawyers, judges, reentry programs. And sometimes we'll just have motivational guests on. But every once in a while, The guest will encapsulate all three, and today is that day. Brian Kelly got into trouble when a drug deal went south, and he found himself in court facing a life sentence when he remembered an offer from someone to to make him basically disappear forever and not face prison time. He was headed out of the courtroom when his lawyer said the one thing to him that would change his course that day and his life forever. All right, let's get to it all right brian kelly welcome to background check podcast it's a pleasure to be here brother man it is good to see you and i tell you what we were just talking about the first time we met but i'll be honest with you i think before i even met you that day we were kind of all got together by a a lady named yvette it was kind of a live stream of, of just talking about justice system and but I think I'd heard your name so many times that I was just like really getting irritated that I needed to hurry up and meet you or just not hear your name anymore because your name was so prevalent uh, in this area as far as just the work you've done and, and what kind of guy you were. So it was an honor to meet you that day, and I guess we've been friends ever since, huh? Well, you know, we're on
1: the same path
0: of, you know, of
1: service and, and honoring our God and trying to make a difference in this space and, you know. Uh, I hadn't heard about you, but uh, I quickly reached out to some sources and said, "Hey, you know about this guy?" And they go, "Awesome, dude! You guys are like twin brothers. You're going to connect, and and it's been just like that. So it's been a real blessing." I
0: mean, other than the fact that we have, uh, you know, both bald heads, uh, yeah. you know, that helps really to be twin haircuts. brothers as well. <laughs> so, um, so man, you know, when I first met you, you you had a certain title. Mm-hmm. and you have a little different title now mm-hmm. but you've also come to, to share at our um, at our transitional house mm-hmm. given felons right and the guys that heard you will just they they were so impacted some of them still talk about you mm-hmm. and um and so thank you for doing that mm-hmm. but uh but also uh man just just tell us we're gonna we're gonna get into what peP is later in the show and tell everybody how to how to um, go to the website and and they'll be on the show notes on the website and everything but let's let's start let's start from the beginning you know okay Uh, because you you're at pep for a reason uh because maybe you made some decisions a long time ago and so just tell us start wherever you want to start and uh and just kind of i'll kind of guide us through the through the the story but uh but just how did how'd you end up in prison
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. So, yeah, I usually tell people I'm not only the CEO of Prison Entrepreneurship Program, also a graduate, right? And that started uh, a long time ago, you know, from the uh, fruits of my addiction, uh, 1992 in downtown Dallas, I got a life sentence for murder uh, in the fruit of a drug deal gone horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd been living that lifestyle and, and spiraled out of control. And, uh, you know, uh, a really bad uh, situation turned even worse. And, uh, and and I killed a man in, in that drug deal uh, over uh, basically an ounce of cocaine. Wow. And um, yeah, I kind of went, you know, on the lam for a little bit. But the criminal justice uh, system... Nab me, um, and, and you know, brought me. So you were me. trying to hide for a little while. Well, yeah, I, I tried to grow a really cool looking beard like yours, and you know, look a little <laughs> bit different. And and I actually moved back uh, to my home state of Kansas for a little bit. But um, you know, uh, I was caught, and, and I went to trial, and I completely lied at trial. I didn't yeah. tell anybody that I was guilty. I lied to my you know my family, my friends, and everybody. Wow. And and just maintain that lie on the um, stand. And it's funny. I had a friend of mine who was a uh, a biker in, in Kansas, and he said, "You know, you're in a mess." He said, "You don't want to go do a bunch of time in Texas." And and he said, "So he said, I've got some friends in the French Quarter in New Orleans, and if you go down there, they can give you a new identity. Wow! But you can never come back. Wow! So he said." you know, just file that away. If you need it, it's there for you. And so wow. I did, when I went to trial, you know, it was abundantly clear to me that I'm about to get hammered. And so when the jury went out for deliberation, I went out in front and the only people that were there to support me were my mom and a friend. And, uh, I was slowly walking, to the parking garage and they were just kind of trailing behind yeah and i was trying to find a way to you ditch were, them you were contemplating
0: that uh... I was jumping in the
1: car and i was out of town right wow. and we got right to the door of the parking garage when my attorney came out the front door and said they're back it hadn't been probably 40 minutes wow and uh and so i met him halfway and i sent my mom and my friend inside And my attorney looked at him, and as soon as they were out of sight, I looked at my attorney and said, Kirk, I'm out of here. And I turned to go. And he grabbed me by the shoulder, and he said, Brian, you can't go. And I looked at him very seriously like, don't try to become a hero right now. It's not the right time. Wow. And he said, if you leave now, they're going to give you a life sentence. I said, they're going to give me a life sentence anyway. He goes, dude, you don't know that. I go, yeah, I do. I was in that courtroom. (laughs) And he said, those days, that day, I think the only words that would have made me stay. You know, I grew up without my father around, and yeah. so I was grafted to anything masculine. Wow. I would never turn down a dare. I would do something so stupid just to prove I was a man. Yeah. And that day, that attorney looked at me and said, Brian, one day you're going to have to be a man and accept responsibility for your actions. Wow. And I just I blasted him, I cussed him out. And I'm like, just got mad and said, so, All right, let's go. And I just marched right inside and, and probably got hit in the face with a, a life sentence. But that's exactly what I needed and what I had coming.
0: Wow. This is the first time I've heard this part of your testimony where there was a, a chance to disappear. There was a fork in the road. So, and, uh, and I think
1: the other fork would have probably meant death.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, eventually. It would have been, instead of a life sentence, a death sentence. Yeah. So, real quick, just, I mean, what was life growing up? I know you just touched on it. Without a dad...
1: Sure. So my dad took off when I was really young, still a toddler, and never knew him. It was always just me and my mom, and bless her heart. You know, she uh, she tried to raise me with very few skills but working-class moxie. Oh, uh, she yeah, yeah. waited tables and did whatever she could to make uh, ends meet. Only child? Only child. Okay. Just me and her against the world, and the world usually won. Yeah. Uh, it was a little bit of a family project. Um, I, I would say alcoholism runs deep in my family, yeah. so that was something I encountered. And um, and so, you know, I grew up in a really small town in Kansas, and and that's about you know everybody drinks or yeah. smokes or does what, something. What small town? Ottawa. Uh,
0: Ottawa. Oh, that's right. I've seen your post before.
1: Mm-hmm. About an hour uh, and, outside
0: and, of Kansas City. And and have you heard of Sterling? Sterling, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where mm-hmm. I went to college. Really? Sterling College, yeah. I spent a lot of time in Hutch, Hutchins, Hutchinson, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then um, H- Hutch's son, right? Hutchinson. Yeah, not to be confused with Hutchins. Prison. Right, right. Um, yeah, I spent a lot of time in Hutch. We always called it Hutch. Yeah. And uh, partied there a lot. And uh, <laughs> we went to Wichita every once in a while when when somebody was willing to drive home. But, yeah, Sterling, Sterling. Mm-hmm. Most people haven't heard of it, mm-hmm closest town they, they've heard of is Hutchinson or Lyons, Lyons, right. Kansas. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I didn't go there very long, a t- couple years, because mm-hmm. I was an alcoholic as well. Mm-hmm. I majored in Jack Daniels. So, all right. So now, fast forward, you got that life sentence. And, yeah. Uh, so, golly, I remanded to TDCJ.
1: Uh, I went down, you know, everything I'd come to trust in for life, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, money, praise. Uh, you know, was stripped away and, um, I had nothing left. I was broken and spilled out and life sentence. I thought my life has ended. This is all I ever have to look forward to. And so my first year, I got sent to the veto unit in, in Palestine and my first year was just miserable. And I was depressed. I slept a lot. I had a Sally one time and said, dude, you can't sleep away a life sentence. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to try. And uh, and so, golly, I was in a riot, and it's just there was fighting going on at Beto, fighting over benches and TVs, and and you know disrespect and who could fight who, and it was just crazy. Um, and then one day, a buddy of mine uh, on the inside, a guy named Big Fifty, Big 50. Uh, came to me. I think me. every unit has a Big Fifty, honestly. right? I know. And uh, uh, he came to me and he said, hey, man, I want to invite you to Cairo's prison ministry. I said, you know, what's that? And he said, it means four days of home-cooked meals. And I said, well, dude, sign me up because the food here is terrible. And uh, now, did I, they
0: have the cookies back then?
1: Oh, my gosh, thousands and <laughs> thousands. and They were homemade back yeah, then. Yeah. And, uh, and so a funny story on that, you know, they, they give you all these cookies. And on one day you talk about forgiveness, and they give you a package of cookies and say – Go give these to somebody you need to forgive, right? Oh, wow. And so I went back to the dorm, and there was this big, loudmouth, bully dude on the on the block, right, that I just despise. And uh, we were walking down the run, and I said, hey, excuse me. And he turned around and I said, what's up? And I handed him this these cookies, right, and he looks down at him, and he looks back at me, and he goes, these are them hate cookies, ain't they? <laughs> and I said, it's not your first package, <laughs> is it? <laughs>
0: Oh, so he, he may have just been gaming the system to get cookies uh, a couple times a year, right?
1: No, I think he was true to being uh, what he was, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it was funny. Um, wow. But, I, you know, I went to Cairo's, and I, I, really, I, I went for the food yeah. and went to get fed, and I got fed so much more than I bargained for. You know, we were uh, sitting at a table and talking about things, and there was a little Lutheran preacher at, at, on my table who had went to Kansas University. So we bonded over right. that. And he just won my confidence. And to that point, I had never admitted to anybody I was guilty of my crime. I had lied. Even in prison, I had lied. Wow. And I couldn't carry it anymore. I'm around these men who were so full of life and right. light. And it was like I had to wash my hands. Yeah. And so I pulled him to the side, and I just broke down, and I told him everything, all the details of it and everything. He listened so patiently. And at the end, he said, "Brian, I am so honored that you would share something wow. so painful with me." Wow. He said, God, "That is huge." And he said, "I want you to hear me clearly. I forgive you." Wow. And I, how that make you feel? I was a big snotty mess, man. <laughs> I was, I, I was it, hitching and going, and he he let me regain composure. And he said, "And, and you know, although I forgive you, um, you need to ask God to forgive you, and I promise wow. you, He will." And I go. Yeah, Keith, I get that, but I can't. And he said, well, why not? And I said, I don't deserve it. I, I deserve this or worse. I get that. I, wow. I'll, I'll take my medicine. Yeah. And he looked at me, and he smiled, and he said, well, I didn't realize I was going to meet somebody that was smarter than God. Wow. <laughs> and I went, hold up, dude. I, I, I didn't say that. He said, sure you did. You said God would forgive you if you ask him, but, you know, of course, you know how to handle this better than he does, so you're going to do it your way. Guess what? It won't work. He said, you know, you're never going to have any peace, purpose, joy, love in your life until you let go and admit this to him. He knows it anyway. Yeah. What's, what's holding What's holding you back? Right. And, you know, he just defeated all my little defenses. And, and so broken down and spilled out. I got on my knees and I offered God my my broken pieces. And wow. he can take broken pieces and turn them into a masterpiece.
0: Yeah, I know that. I know that for I know sure. You do. And uh, wow, that's uh, I've I've heard it a couple times already, but to hear it all in context of of you know you had a chance to run away, and um, and then the context of you know you do not having a dad a father figure in your life, so. All right, so you you gave your heart to the Lord, and then you made parole the next year, right? <laughs> it wasn't quite Everything like changed. that. So that was about a that was about a year and a quarter into a life sentence. Okay, and, and so I, you
1: know, uh, I didn't get out of the consequences of my crime, unfortunately. Okay. God didn't work that way for me. Uh, and I'm glad he didn't now. Um, I would end up doing almost 22 years. Uh, but, you know, at that time, there was something that changed in my life. If you looked at me the next day, you probably wouldn't have seen anything different. But I knew something was different. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I went back to school. I went to recovery. I went to church. I read my Bible. I got a mentor. Um, How and, important was having a mentor to you? Oh, my gosh. There was uh, this happened a couple years later when students ready, the, the teacher appears a couple years later, I was at the Win unit, and there was a man on my dorm that I worked with. So we were around each other twenty-four-seven. He had been a uh, previously been a pastor and traveling uh, evangelist who had uh, fallen from grace and um, ended up, uh, you know, right next to me for ten years. Um, he uh, worked with me daily on the fundamentals of Christianity. We used to talk daily. Uh, At the beginning of our jobs about, um, you know, how we were applying those principles in our life or failing to apply them and just living transparently and made all the difference in the world.
0: Was that hard for you to be mentored by somebody in white? Or did you?
1: No, because at that point I had had a couple of sponsors in AA, and yeah. I
0: had found great value so were you, in you that. Were used to the process, sure. Yeah. At first, man, God had to really smack me upside the head because I grew up in church. Mm-hmm. I had books of the Bible memorized in high school, mm-hmm. so it was really hard for me to be mentored by somebody in prison that I felt like I knew more about Christianity than you know. But God said, "You know more head knowledge," but they they have more heart knowledge mm-hmm. they've pursued the relationship right you just pursued the knowledge and so so it was hard and then and then even after i was on fire for god doing the right thing and, and god brought this little you know i'm 30 and god brought this little 24 year old on fire kid you know into the thing and and i'm just like okay calm down calm down and the holy <laughs> spirit was like no you need to listen to him i put him in in your path cuz i there's parts of of him that I want you to learn from and you got to be okay with it and uh man that was so hard for me to break down but uh, mm-hmm. learning from other people either my peers or but um uh, you know I, I give now I, if he wants me to learn from anybody I give I give teach me in any way so
1: yeah I was tabula rasa I was so broken that now I realized that you know, I just don't know how to live. My very best thinking led to a life sentence for murder. What the wow. heck do I know about yeah. living? And so, wow. Uh, I, I just I grafted to anybody who had some solid um, wisdom to share with me. And well, uh, you were a lot smarter
0: than me, and you probably still are. So, you know, other than the fact that you're a Chiefs fan, uh, but that's okay. So, <laughs> world champion. Yeah, so, Chiefs uh, uh, six time uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, six time world champion. <laughs> true. True. Uh, but. So, but no, congratulations, Mahomes deserved it. So, so now you're you're growing in the Lord. Hmm. You know, um, things went to are happening school, earned school. a bachelor's
1: degree in psychology. Wow. Um, I got a great job, and and you know, learned some work ethic. You know, I'd never been a very good employee. I'd never held a job for much more than a year, um, and I just wasn't reliable. Uh, I wasn't, didn't have a good work ethic, but I learned that in prison. I had a job in sign shop for over 12 years. Sign
0: shop. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So you can make signs.
1: (laughs) I can make signs. I was actually a laser engraver, uh, did graphic illustration. And it got to the point where uh, the plant manager would come to me and say, Hey, we've got a project. Can we do it? And I would tell him, let me go look and see. And I would come back and report. Yeah, I can do this. I'll pull a team together. And so I I um, I was given a lot of responsibility for you know an inmate yeah. and uh, and I got to kind of keep up with you know computers and doing right. some things so that yeah. helped.
0: That's good. That's good. That's the one thing that's hard to keep up with in prison is technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you know you get guys that have been locked up a long time and don't know how to turn the water the water on at Chick Fil A in the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult still sometimes. So um, so I mean all right so so fast forward to. You know, you're in school, you're growing, you got you got a degree. What else? What else? So I became a prison? college
1: tutor. And I was helping guys learn to read. And, and I just learned that, you know, my life is so much better when I give back, when oh, I yeah. help other That's people. Good. And if I never got out of prison, I wanted my life to count for something. I got tired of being part of the problem. Yeah. And I wanted to be part of the solution, even if I never got out of prison. Yeah. And so you know, I was just sewing into men. I was discipling them, sponsoring them in AA, and teaching them. And I became a peer educator. And in about 2007, 2008, um, the founder of PEP recruited me to be a peer educator for that program.
0: Okay. Now so tell
1: I, everybody what PEP stands for. Prison Entrepreneurship Program. Okay. It had started a few years before that it was
0: really just getting started. And so yeah, it wasn't in. I got out in 2006. Mm-hmm. So it. It had just started, I think. Before just that, started, yeah. Because um, Marcus was in one of the first classes, mm-hmm, right? Because, because mm-hmm. I got out and then I heard Marcus went to a program which mm-hmm. was PP at the Hamilton unit, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, Hamilton, what, was that's it Hamilton where I went back then, it. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and next thing I know, I'm at home, and I'm watching a news a news story, and I guess because y'all were fairly new and. Um, Maybe there were some PEP executives from Dallas or whatever. I don't know. But mm. it made the news in mm. Dallas, and they're showing the graduation. And there's this black guy dancing down the aisle. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. I know that guy. I'm like, that is Marcus Hill. And, yeah. you know, me and Marcus were locked up together at the Lockhart unit. So that's the first I'd even heard about PEP. Wow. Um was from that news story mm-hmm. you know i mean i knew he went to a program but i didn't know what kind i thought he just went to a drug program or whatever so all right so they they recruited you and right
1: so it was a uh, you know more fledgling program is just getting started but it was on an incredible premise that men um in prison desperately want to turn their lives around they just don't know how and they have a lot of skills From their survival on the street, I mean, a lot of them have, you know, intuitive business understanding. They know about supply chains, risk management, profit margins, marketing, how to read people. You know, they've got some great skills from that survival. And if we can just transplant that into something legitimate, you know, that should work well. And we've proven that it does.
0: Yeah. Uh And most of them want to do that. Uh They just don't know how. They don't know what direction you point them in the right direction. Give them just a couple of tools, and you got it, man. It's just like, you know, you give them a chip bag, you know, in a hot pot, and they can make, they can make the greatest food ever. Oh my know? gosh,
1: <laughs> with, with with nail clippers and a paper clip, they can make a, a computer. <laughs> yes. right? I mean
0: it's almost like, it's almost like, um, an inmate could be a better MacGyver than MacGyver was. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? MacGyver learned (laughs) it. So,
1: you know, I got pulled over there, and I got to help the guys with their uh, business plan formation, their pitching, their uh, character development, and we did a lot of orchestration of the events that we were doing. Golly. But you're not in
0: the program. You're just helping them.
1: Just helping. I was referred to as a peer educator. So we were a couple of shepherds. Uh, that, you know, move things along. We even led class. And, and so, you know, it was the greatest um, application of my experience and my transformation. And I was like, this is it. This Perfect. is how yeah. I can really make a difference. Yeah. And our very first graduation program, it's a really emotional moment. I was sitting amongst the staff, and I was just bawling. Yeah. And it's an emotional moment for everybody, but I was bawling more than anybody. And the reason was is I was crying out to God, and I said, I don't ever want to leave the company of people making a difference for your kingdom like this. This is powerful. And he still is answering that question today, sitting here with you. He's (laughs) answering that
0: question. So, so shortly after that, you, do, you get, do you make parole? or do you No, actually,
1: golly. So we were about to switch units. We were going to go to the Cleveland facility, and we'd okay. seen pictures, and we were so excited. And uh, the regional director wouldn't sign off on me going. I had too much time oh. to be on a pre-release, so I got sent back to the jungle, and I was devastated. At where? Uh, I went, uh, I call it the jungle, but it was a win unit. The win, okay. Yeah. Right. Not really the jungle. But, <laughs> you know. I went sent back to a regular uh, institutional division unit, and uh, but I was devastated. I wanted to be a part of PP so bad. And, Were you and, uh, better? No, but I, I I was I was mad. And I wrestled with God a little bit. We had a few uh, we yeah. had a few um, conversations about that. Uh, and I basically said, God, I don't understand. Why would you let me taste something so good and then just yank that away from me? And, I, and that's not consistent with what I know about you. Why? Why? What's going on? He must have been looking at me and seeing me as CEO some years later going. God, will you just wait on yeah. my timing? Yeah. yeah Unbelievable. Yeah. So I went back, and I just refused to let go of PP. I, you know, I kept writing to them, and even though they couldn't write me back uh, and establish a relationship. So uh, if somebody was recruited to PP, I helped prep them, and I just uh, I, decided I'm going to live by the same values that they live by. Now, that,
0: see, that's important. That's That's important right there is that you could have just stayed in a state of bitterness mm-hmm. and resentment that mm-hmm. you weren't going to be in the – a part of the program anymore, but instead, you were sowing seeds into people that did get recruited or accepted in the program, and and that's what a lot of people don't get. You have to sow the seeds. You have to be willing to sow what you're trying to get into somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think it was Zig Ziglar who said it, and I think John Maxwell said it, and I think all the great people that you know have taught leaders have said it. But the quickest way to success success is to help somebody else get there. Yeah. You know, the quickest way to get what you want is to help somebody else get what they want.
1: I found so, great value in that, you know, real, uh, I don't know, uh, real purpose, real satisfaction. I got more satisfaction, I still do today, of helping somebody else succeed than I ever got trying to ha- do it, you know, for myself. Yeah. That's so
0: good, man. So then eventually it happened, though, right? Uh, what, what? What well, was next? Did you? I mean, how long did you have to do that? I, so how long did I ended, you have to plow your field.
1: I had to plow. Um, let's see. That was uh, 2008. Um, five years later, uh, I was out at the Torres unit, kind of west of San Antonio, and I I got to meet with a parole commissioner. Um, it was my thirteenth time up for parole. I had been denied twelve times. And you were eligible. And you were eligible right from. After six years, I had a really weird anomaly on my life sentence, and so I became parole eligible in six years. Yeah, that is weird. Well, it was non-aggravated because they didn't have an affirmative finding of a weapon. Okay. Uh, And so at that time, they calculated life at uh, 60 years. It was under the quarter law, so I became eligible at 15, and because there was no weapon, I could use good time. And work time so okay. in six years i became eligible gotcha. and i just started getting a series of set-offs um, were they
0: all one year set-offs or did you get some a
1: three a two and then ten ones wow and so every year ten ones. every year they would say hey you're doing everything just right keep it up tonight i I had
0: that
1: and so you know i i learned to deal with disappointment and um and and to take those years and apply them at something else. But finally, uh, 13th time up, got to meet with a commissioner, and the conversation had changed. I had just cleared the 20-year mark, and uh, and he was basically telling me what parole was going to be like for me on the outside. And yeah. all of a sudden, I'm sitting here looking at him going, this man's telling me I've made parole. Yeah. And so at the end, he said, uh, any questions, uh, son? And I said, yes, sir, I've got one. He said, what is it? And I said, will you give me parole next year? And he looked at me crazy. He said, are you asking me <laughs> to stay in prison another year? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, why? Why, why? why would you do that? And I said, well, I'd like to go through PEP and develop a business plan that I've got. And the only way I can do that is if you give me a hard release date next year. Wow. And he goes, let me look into this. And the next day, I, I called my mom, and she said, you've made parole but it's not until next year and nobody knows why I'm trying to find out why. I said, well, I can tell you, that's what I asked for. Wow. So I basically bargained. Was your mom mad at you? I I think she questioned it. (laughs) Uh, and she's like, you know, what's wrong with him? We need to get him checked when he gets out. But she came to the graduation at PEP when I went through and and it was really emotional moment. And, and at the end, um, I think she saw how special it was. And I said, I got a really big question for you. And she goes, what is it? And I said, I know my decision cost us another year apart. I need to know for my own peace of mind, do you get it, that it was worth it? And she got tears in her eyes. Mm. She said, oh, yeah. She said, we're going to be PEP for life. And I wow. go, okay. I, I wow. needed to know that you knew that. Yeah. And I said, but here's, here's the next thing. Uh, Mom. There had there'd always been a plan to go to her and my cousin in San Antonio when I paroled out. And I said, I'm going to go to PEP's transitional house in Dallas when I get out. And her bottom lip started quivering. <laughs> and she goes, okay, why? And I said, I'm 48 years old. It's time for me to stand on my own two feet and be a man and get out from underneath right. your covering and, and, and they're practiced at the art of getting on my feet uh, as quickly as possible. And I said, when I do, I'm going to come back to you, not as a burden, but as right. a benefactor. Right, yeah. And she goes, okay.
0: And, man, it played out almost just so, like that. So when the, the board member, uh, when you were asking him to stay in another year, had you been accepted already to PP or were you yeah. still kind of waiting?
1: Yeah, since I knew them, I had previous uh, engagement with them. They knew what they were getting with me. They had given me a blanket acceptance, and so uh, I was able to kind of, um, you know, bargain with that extra yeah, year. Perfect. You know? And so, you know, it
0: worked out really well. All right. So, you, so you get out of prison, mm-hmm. you graduate, you get out of prison. Uh, and, and you immediately become the CEO of PEP, right? Hmm. Uh,
1: well, I was so not ready for that. I'm, sometimes <laughs> I think I'm still not ready for that. But, you know, when I got out, I had never – it has been 22 years. I had never Googled anything. I had never sent an email. I would never used a debit card or a cell phone. Cell phones, when I got locked up, were like World War II walkie-talkies. Yeah, they were huge. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and so the world had passed me by, and it was – golly, it was different. You know, like on the way back to Dallas – My family picked me up, and we stopped at a convenience store, just a run-of-the-mill convenience store. And uh, my mom said, hey, we're going to get something to drink. you want anything? I said, yes, ma'am. Will you get me a Coke? And she goes, no, you're free. Get your own Coke. (laughs) (laughs) And I went, wow, I am. So I had my $50, my release (laughs) check, right? So I went in, and this little bitty convenience store might as well well have been a super walmart to me it yeah. was amazing yeah, the colors the textures the air conditioning the six eight ten flavors of doritos i mean really <laughs> to, so i'm i was opening up all the cold cases in the back and I'm looking back and forth and finally she said what are you looking for I'm like "Where are the 50 cent cokes and she said we left those in the in the <laughs> you know 10 years back uh so um, I went and got a Monster Energy drink uh, just for something new, new adventure, and that was a mistake. But when I put it on the counter, the lady um, looked at me, and I went to get my cash out, and my mom hands me her debit card. And uh, she said, here, use this. And I'm like, So I, I thrust it out to the lady, and it just hung there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I knew something was wrong because she was just staring at me, and so I kind of thrust it again, and she said, sir, you swiped that. And I'm like, well, of course you do. Yeah. And so I figured out I where to swipe it. Seeing
0: if you were paying attention,
1: right? Just just checking you. So I swiped it, and then she looked at me, and she I don't know had this simpleton look on her face, yeah. and it was like, you know, what's wrong with you? And she said, "Sir, you need to swipe it on the magnetic stripe." So I turned it over, and I did it. And I'm you know feeling kind of silly, and then she spoke to me like a five year old. Mm. And she said, now you need to put in the PIN number. Mm. And I felt like an idiot. Mm. And I was realizing, I don't even know how to buy a drink out here. How am I going to make it? And it scared me to death.
0: Yeah, I bet.
1: So, uh, you know, it was a learning curve. Technology had moved on. The world had moved on. I felt like life is a highway going 90 miles an hour, and I'm at the top of the on-ramp and I am stock still, and I don't know when to get started. I don't know when it's the right time, and so many guys getting out of prison feel just like oh, that. Yeah. It's hard to get in the stream. It reminds of me
0: of the Shawshank Redemption movie. Don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen that. I'm oh sure yeah, you have. many times. Um, so many people get out and end up like Brooks, you know, and um, but there are people that get out and end up like Red and uh, and overcome that. But the feeling is there, man. Mm-hmm. The feel especially people that have been locked up a long time. We're getting somebody in next week that's been locked up thirty two years. Wow. And um and you know, and his sister's like he doesn't know how to do anything. Yeah. And so and I don't know if he went to school like, like you did and, and kept up with a little bit of technology in there, but but it's it's uh, you know, it, it's a challenge and, and some people get to that point, you know, and, and that's the point that drives some people back, mm-hmm. you know, that's why part, part of it is some of our system is broken. You know, it, it's a, uh, it's a business that's set up perfectly for repeat clientele. And, uh, and the, the perfect clientele are the ones that are depressed when they get out because they, they don't know how they're going to make it because they don't even know how to buy a drink. You They're know. dependent upon the state to give them three hots and a cot. Yeah. And they can
1: survive in that environment, but it's difficult to survive out here, you know, independently, thinking on your own, making your own decisions, balancing your own finances. And golly, that's, yeah. it's skills that have a trophy. You know, I have found that the guy's getting out of prison, especially after some time, and I'm sure you found this too, they can't even make a decision on what to eat or where to eat. Yeah. I quit asking guys when they get out, where do you want to eat? Because they can't answer that question. But if I say, hey, do you want burgers, barbecue, seafood? They can answer that. Right. And I go, okay, yeah, you want barbecue? I got a spot for you. Yep. And so I just simplify that and we we'll start out with baby
0: steps. So where where'd you work when you first got out?
1: So uh, you know, I got out, got a job uh, about 30 days after getting out. And I took a few weeks to just decompress. Breathe some fresh air, um, and then and you stayed
0: at the PEP mm-hmm, transitional house, mm-hmm, right? So you guys yeah. have. I was on a monitor. Transitional houses. Mm-hmm. Where all do y'all have transitional houses? Dallas. We've got
1: one in North Dallas and Houston. in East Dallas. In Houston too. And then we've got uh, three in Houston, and we've got one in Austin. Okay. Good. So I got out, went there, just decompressed a little bit, and I took care of parole and some other issues and then started uh, looking for a job and had a series of interviews with a sign shop over here and just fell in love with the owner and the manager of the place. And and they called and offered me uh, a spot, and it was doing the same thing I was doing in prison, laser engraver, graphic illustration. And so, uh, you know, with Must they, be God, huh? Yeah, and it was like you know, just a perfect fit of doing what I was doing on the inside, and I like them, and I like the shop, and so he called me up, made me an offer with a, a great starting salary, and and I told the owner of the place, I said, um, "Do you mind if I just pray on this one day and call you back tomorrow because things are moving so fast, I can't keep up, and I just want to, I want I want to make, I love you guys. I, I I don't know why I wouldn't ever come here, but. I need to take one day. And he goes, I get it. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Wow. That day, PEP called and said, hey, we want you to go work for us as a case manager. Um, we'll eventually move up and be over the team in North uh, Texas, and we'll see from there. And I just went, wow. So I called the sign shop back, and I said, um, I didn't know this was in the mix, but um, you know, PEP has offered me a spot, and the owner gets it. He said, You need to be there. Go. That's good. And now both he and his wife have volunteered uh, with
0: us so many times. So it was a reverse recruitment. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so cool. All right. And then you're, so so you're the, I think when I met you, you were in that position, right? mm -hmm, Like the mm -hmm. North Texas liaison or whatever your official title was. Yeah. So for a
1: couple of years I did, you know, case management, helping guys get out and get on their feet. And uh, my, 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 Comment when they first offered me that position. It's like man. I've been locked up 22 years What do I know about people getting out get on their feet? And they right. said you're doing great show them what you're doing So I did that for two years became kind of a house manager property manager uh, Then I moved over to the development side of volunteer recruitment and fundraising and donations and kind of learned that part working with our volunteers um, And so uh, you know four or five years into that Um, I was well-positioned having that broad background that um, our then-CEO came to me and said, hey, you know, I'm really thinking about um, uh, my transition and um, what that might look like, and I'd like to put you on the short list of candidates to take over. And I I said, I'm not qualified (laughs) for that role. And he laughed, and he said, well, I I will say this. Whatever you feel like you're lacking in qualifications, I'd say you're really well-positioned for it. Yeah. And, and who has a better story right. about PP? And you've definitely got the DNA. So, will you consider it? And I said, well, yeah, I would. You know, <laughs> put it like that. And so, uh, yeah, for about uh, almost a year, I was CEO-elect, and we kind of worked together, and he showed me the ropes of what he was doing. And, and so now I've been in the seat for about
0: two years myself. Wow. So what were some of the um, challenges when you first became ceo Oh, my gosh. It, it, you know, I we could talk forever about the how how the, the parole part of our system is broken. Mm-hmm. But let's just talk about that one part that was challenging for you because now you're the CEO. Right. And you got to travel and you can't <laughs> because you had an ankle monitor on. Mm-hmm. Well, I
1: had it for 70 days. So by the time I became CEO, I can move around freely. But to leave the state, I have to have permission. Yeah. So that's difficult, and I've been called out of state a lot. I've been uh, invited to the White House twice. Been to D.C. several times, and uh, places all over the country to go speak. I've become a little bit of a, a you know, a parole reform advocate speaker, um, and so it's always difficult. I, I've got to go. Get if you permission. want to
0: follow where he where he's always invited to speak, if you follow him on Facebook, uh, the your personal page or your. Um uh, both prison P-P- entrepreneurship
1: P-P- program or my personal page yeah. I, you know we'll, we'll post that but we'll put it on we'll
0: put it on the show notes to make sure people can follow you because i enjoy watching your um, watching your journey where you go speak and everything i'm like hey i know that guy <laughs> i know that guy you
1: know it it, it, it blows me away um, jay that uh, I, I feel like i'm blessed way more than i deserve and um and a long time ago um a, a friend of mine, uh, a sponsee of mine, AA, we we read that little bitty book, the uh, the prayer of Jabez, and at that time we were impacting a couple guys that were around us, and we prayed, God, you know, open up our surroundings. We want to impact yeah. more for Your kingdom, and we prayed that prayer in earnest. And and I might tell you what—that's a prayer he loves to answer.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. He does. He does. So so one of the challenges was you had to you had to make scheduled flights to places. Mm-hmm. But the parole sometimes drug their feet a little bit on uh, uh, approving your travel, so. You know, I was called one time to go speak at the
1: Capitol Building in Oklahoma uh, to a bunch of the legislators up there, law enforcement, reentry folks, some heavy hitters. And I was having trouble with, uh, with my PO. You know, I had scheduled it weeks out, and, and uh, the day before I called and said, hey, you haven't ever told me if I'm cleared. And she said, oh give me that information again.
0: <laughs> and whenever they say, give me that information again.
1: <laughs> we pretty much know what it means. Yes. And so uh, I got up early that morning. I still hadn't heard anything. I started driving north. I got all the way to the border and I stopped. And I was at a Starbucks and I called her. And I said, I need to know that you've given me permission to leave. I'm not going to cross the state line without your permission, but I need that now. And, uh, and she, in the meantime, had got mad. I guess I was interrupting something, and so she just uh, she took too much time, and it got to the point where I didn't have enough time to drive the Oklahoma uh, State Capitol. So you, did, you weren't even able to make it? Wasn't able to go. Did they understand? Yeah. And, and we rescheduled it for later on, but, I mean, those are the difficulties we run into sometimes. And yeah.
0: A lot of people don't don't realize um, just little little parts of the... Of the big wheel, the cogs in the wheel, how they uh, don't turn like they're supposed to
1: Mm.
0: all the time, you know, and whether it's apathy, whether it's just people that, you know, just coming to collect a paycheck, there are some really good parole officers, though. Uh, I will say working with them Mm. closely over the last eight years, running a transitional house, sometimes for the most part, it seems like I'm actually working against parole. Uh, in trying to rehabilitate these guys and make them productive citizens, mm-hmm. uh, because we want them to be able to, especially with guys with ankle monitors, we want them to be able to take the trash out, mow the yard, sure. you know, do things like that that productive citizens do. That they don't always want them to do because that ankle monitor, you know, keeps them inside at night instead of doing stuff. But um, but man, so you're the CEO of PEP. Now, if somebody, if that lawyer had looked at you that day and said, Brian, you can't run because one day you're going to be the CEO of an organization that helps inmates prepare for when they get out of prison. I mean, what would you have said to him if that was his answer to you that day? I would have said he's ridiculous. I would have given him a UA. A drug test? (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: So, you know, it's crazy. So, you know, 22 years in prison. Um uh, from a life where I couldn't even, uh, manage my own life. Yeah. And then I went for 22 years and barely making any decisions on my own. And I get out and now I'm leading an organization. We've got a little over 30 employees. We've got about 3000 volunteers. We've got a 2,600 graduates of our wow. program. And, uh, there's times when it's like herding cats. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, but you know, I didn't, I didn't realize what a responsibility that was um, of, you know, just managing and organizing myriads and multitudes. Um, And, you know, there are times when I probably am not qualified, but I love it and I'm passionate about it and I'm willing to figure it out. And I'm really willing to, you know, to tap into the expertise of everybody that's around me. And 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 that's what
0: makes you a great leader too. Mm -hmm. So, Tell us more about PEP, uh, the program. I know I went to go in as, as a, as a mm-hmm. judge to judge their business plans because mm-hmm. you make all the program participants uh, write business plans, right? Right. And then uh, there's a there's a day before graduation where they all get to present them. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're presenting, but that's what you're you're teaching them the whole year. You're teaching them what are you teaching them the whole year? Or the how long is the program?
1: Yeah, so we recruit from all over the state, over 80 different prisons, and we host the program in two units right now, one just south of Dallas, one just north of Houston. Uh, it's a nine-month program. It's three months of intense character assessment and development that we call Leadership Academy because we've got to build that foundation of character uh, if we're going to be great businessmen and right. great leaders in the community. So we start there, and a lot of the guys feel duped. They're like, I'm here for business, not for this touchy-feely yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, you know, we've, we've got to build that foundation. And then we have six months of a, uh, of a mini boot camp, uh, you know, MBA boot camp type thing. And so uh, they're learning about business, uh, uh, reading a bunch of books on it, doing some homework. Uh, they begin to make about a 10-page business plan. Uh, it will have either their product or service offering, um, their industry, uh, who their competitors are, differentiation, a three-year financial forecast. They probably even include philanthropy. Um, in their, some of them in their did. Plan- yeah, yeah, I
0: listened to quite a few of them, and some of them did include philanthropy. And well, they tell you exactly how much it's going to start up. I mean, I'm telling you, I was I was impressed listening to these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, the group I was with, the judges, we were. A lot of times, hard pressed to, to come up with questions, because they were mm-hmm. some of them were so thorough and they thought of everything, mm-hmm. that it was like you know there's ten of us judges or nine or whatever, and so by the time it, you got past the first two, they've already asked all the important questions left because the business plans are so good, mm-hmm. so that and that's just a reflection of the of the curriculum and the program, and of the guys just paying attention and, and implementing those. Sure, so. so we we bring in volunteers from the business business community, really
1: business savvy folks, about once a month uh, to listen to business plans, listen to pitches, give feedback. And so by the time they get to our business plan competition at the end, they're pretty well honed their practice a lot of our guys will have given their pitch over 200 times by the time we get to the business competition Uh, they go through toastmasters we've got an etiquette coach that comes in Uh, um, you know they read good to great uh, who moved my cheese rich dad poor dad uh, crime and punishment true north and so uh, there's a lot of learning that goes on a lot of honing uh, but, you know, we get to that business plan competition. We'll, we'll choose a winner. Our volunteers will choose a winner. And then we'll have a graduation ceremony where family is involved. And they, we get to really showcase the transformation. And it's amazing to see the look of bewilderment and astonishment on family
0: members' uh, yeah. face as yeah. they see a brand-new man. You know, I, the very first one I ever went to was in Cleveland, and it was uh, Jerry Gagnon. Mm-hmm. And so... And I don't know if I if I ever told you a story about that, but he was the very first person when I got into prison, uh, I came out of came out of K tank, the cages, mm-hmm. into gurney, into the actual pod. Um, I I had to look like just this big old big old overgrown oaf that was just lost, because I was you know grew up in church, and this was all new to me, first time down, and he comes up to me, and he hands me a bowl of noodles. Says, hey man, you hungry? You want something to eat? Wow. And I mean, my first thought was, "Oh my gosh, is this the leader of the gang? He's trying to recruit me. What, <laughs> you know, what's going on?" And uh, and you know, and and I'll never forget him. He was assigned to that unit, so I didn't see him after I left for six years or six weeks until I was went back in with the Mike Barber ministry mm-hmm. in the Win unit in 2010, I think, 11. Right. And he was there, and I was like, "Oh my gosh." And uh, and so I I, I got to... I got to see him again, he and he got to see the transformation in me, because sure. when I was first got into prison, I was not living for the Lord. So he got to see the transformation in me, and and he started to get depressed because he was about he was about to do all of his time, and he 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 he, he didn't really know what can make him happy. And I said, "There's got to be something," because one year I was just like, "Jerry, you, talk to me, man. What's going on? You look like you're about to just end it all." and he said he said yeah i've thought about it hmm. and i said well what something got to be able cuz i knew he wasn't a christian and i knew he was searching and he wrote me one time and said man i see you i see you the way you talk what you talk about how you talk about it and i know i'm not like that but man i want something like that and so one year he said when i just kept pressing I'm like what do you want cuz i wasn't going to just offer anything i just i wanted to know what he wanted mm-hmm. Goes, well, I thought about this PEP thing, but I know, I know because of my record, you know, they're not going to take me. I'm like, oh, that, that incident? And uh, he said, yeah. And I said, yeah. So, well, how bad do you want to be in it? He goes, they're not going to take me. How bad do you want to be in it? At that point, you know, I was friends with Marcus, so I knew all the stats. 10,000 apply, 300 get chosen, and barely 100 graduate. And so I, I told him those stats. I said, so if you wanna get in, I can't promise you anything, but in my mind I was already going through my pitch to Marcus. Right. Marcus, you gotta get this guy in. And so but that 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 changed that program changed his life. He wrote me and he said he was in tears, right? I mean, this man hadn't cried in his whole life. And he said that program changed his life. And to this day, he's into business oh, yeah. because of it. You know, and he's in North Carolina somewhere and he's just business, a big warehouse. And he has so, transformed his hustle. I know. know, I know. So so I, I, I've seen firsthand, I got to be at his graduation, got to meet his family, mm-hmm. and uh, some of them that thought that he'd, he would never see again, yeah. and he hadn't seen in a long time. And so I've seen firsthand what the program does to, to two people and four people, and then now to know you, mm-hmm. um, you know, and to know you and to know that you're the, you're the head of it and you're impacting lives like never before. It's just an honor. And so tell people, okay, you mentioned you bring volunteers in. Who are you all looking for? What kind of mm-hmm. people are you looking for? Uh, if they are interested, how do they sign up? Where do they go mm-hmm. to find more about, you know, if somebody wants to give $2 million, how do they do that? They can contact
1: me directly. <laughs> I promise you I'll give them a direct line if they'd like to do that. Uh, you know, we do. We, we have an amazing group of volunteers who are typically all pretty business savvy. Um, they you know entrepreneurs uh, accountants uh, you know business leaders um, uh, you know all spectrums um, uh, of somebody who just really wants to give back has some life skills to give and it doesn't even have to be necessarily just business you know if you've got some just life skills to give we take people in about once a month um, into prison to really hone the guys and and uh, reintroduce them to a higher caliber caliber of professional okay. and teach them how to be professional right. and have the proper communication and things like that. So our volunteers uh, can get in touch with us. So we've got our own website, uh, pep.org. Um, So there's just a litany of things on the website that you can do to get connected. You can sign up as a volunteer. You can sign up as a donor. We uh, have opportunities for mentorship, for business plan advisement. Uh, We're opening up some new opportunities kind of post-release now but in this COVID environment because right now we're not being allowed into prison. So we're making more opportunities post-release. And so... Uh, You know, if you're into mentorship or um, looking at somebody's business plan and offering a critique and some feedback, uh, uh, if you'd like to
0: teach a class, if you've got an expertise in something. um, Because on the outside, you have mm e-school. And that's mm -hmm. uh, where the guys coming from that live in the transitional houses can still once a week, right? Is that what that is? Once a week? come and, and, and learn learn more. So. Sure.
1: So we have a nine-month program on the inside, but then we follow through
0: on the outside. We've
1: got transitional housing, a continuing education program called eSchool, uh, business startup support, uh, mentorship, and things like that. We found that you have to have that follow-through post-release. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, none of us, uh, J-Dan, you and I included, get there alone. It's right. all about community. And so uh, most of our guys in prison haven't had a positive uh, community, right. haven't had role models, haven't had mentors and, and guides and teachers and somebody who cares about them and encourage them and cheerlead for them. Yep. And so when you surround That um, that bread dough. Yes. uh, With that, you know something new is baked, and something new comes out. And and what we've found is our recidivism rate over our 16-year history has been uh, about eight percent. So good. It hovers around somewhere between seven to nine. Um, and which is you know just amazing but we've had over 500 businesses started uh, by our graduates wow many of which had over a million dollar revenue last year Wow! Uh, we're cranking out 50 to 60 more each year Um, And we want to really uh, compound upon that and put more business support post-release. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities to serve. Uh, PEP.org, and they can reach out, and uh, we'd love to get people connected. Right now we're just in Texas, Um, although there might even be some opportunities to do business plan uh, uh, critique outside of the state. Uh, but certainly we would love to take those $2 million checks or, <laughs> or any check up to that uh,
0: from anyone. Uh, and it takes money to do what we do. Yeah, it does. All right. Well, I think, I think uh, we've given everybody information, and we'll have all the, we'll have all the website and everything and, mm-hmm. and, and how to follow uh, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, mm-hmm. on okay, Facebook. Uh, and, and so, Brian, thank you so much for your time, for all you do, your story. Thank you for not running away that day. Thank you so much. I don't know. I mean, we couldn't do this interview, for one, if you did. Uh, and and I think that you're right. I think that that would have been a death sentence. And um, you're a much better man with a life sentence.
1: You know, it's funny you use that term because that is the day, J-Dan, that I view I turn the corner to become a man uh, always before I hadn't accepted responsibility for big things. And even though I did it out of anger and and all, all the wrong reasons that day, I made a stand and it's made all the difference.
0: And that's what it's all about. Mm. That's what it's all about. So, well, I appreciate your time. And once again, thanks for all you do. And thanks for, uh, thanks for hanging out with me today. It's my honor. Glory to God. Amen. Man, this interview was just inspiring. I mean, Brian went from a murder sentence to contemplating going off the grid to a life sentence to CEO of one of the most thriving prison programs in our country. But there's some great points he makes throughout this interview. First, single moms, you rock. (laughs) He said it was just him and his mom against the world, and the world won most of the time, but they never gave up. The same mom was kind of sad when he told her he stayed in prison for one more year But then she realized why when she went to his graduation. Then his reason for not paroling to her address was so that he could be, not be a burden to her anymore. He wanted to get back on his feet and be able to help her in a way that he's never been able to. And he's doing that now. You know, even though Brian grew up without a dad, he still looked for father figures to pour into his life. So don't stop looking for father figures to tell you the truth. That lawyer, told Brian something that he did not want to hear that day. Brian already committed murder once and seemed ready to do it again. If that lawyer didn't move, but that lawyer said the hard thing to Brian. Most people would have just said, forget it. You know what? Fine. Leave then I ain't helping you. Don't call me anymore. But that lawyer showed tough love. He looked deep into Brian's heart and said what he knew Brian needed to hear. So don't be afraid to say the hard things to the people that you love, but say I'm in love. And to you that are trying to run, don't reject that hard thing being said to you. There are people in your life who love you and want to see you succeed. Lastly, Brian served and served and served until he got what he wanted. He wanted to, uh, to be in PEP so bad, but he couldn't because of the time he had left on his sentence. So instead of complaining about it, he just served. And then when he was about to be let go from prison, he wanted PEP so bad that he sacrificed something good, which was getting out of prison, for something much greater. Man, how often do we want to just give up on the great to settle for something good? Don't do it. If you want to see more pics of Brian in action in prison uh, with the PEP guys, Check us out on the website, ForgivenFelons.org, background check. Uh, You can uh, read more show notes, learn uh, more about how to get involved with PEP. If you want to volunteer or you want to write that $2 million check, visit PEP.org. And if this episode has touched you in some way, will you please leave a review on Apple? It'll help us reach uh, more people. Listen, I love you guys, and I believe in every one of you. I'll see you on the next background check. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the background check podcast brought to you by forgiven felons, helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe. So you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm JD gum, and this has been background check.